Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Дамы и господа, добро пожаловать в Prevail. Это второй сезон нашей борьбы с криминальными сволочами. Ваш ведущий Грег Олян. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. We've got a great show. The Ace open source researcher Gal Suburban is back. We talked to her about obviously all the swampy things going on in Florida because that's she's an expert in that. We talked about gun control. We talked about the J6 committee and these public hearings that are going to happen, which I think we're both pretty excited about. And she has this theory about Executive Order 13848, which is why this episode has such a strange title. She wrote this with Jim Stewartson on his Substack page, and I'll let her explain it. But it's it's an interesting theory, and if she's right, and she's usually right. I mean, the, the, the dominoes all line up. I think somebody in the intelligence community did us all a solid and helped save democracy by not turning in a report on time. Yeah, it's an interesting theory, and we're going to break that down later on. I'm very relieved. I think you're all very relieved that the suspense is over after what seems like five years, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial. It's over. The verdict is in. And the winner, the lawyers. The lawyers always win with stuff like this. Um, Johnny has to pay Amber. Amber has to pay Johnny. Johnny has to pay less than Amber has to pay. Yeah. That's that's what happened. It seems like an enormous waste of everybody's time. But I'd say my kids were riveted by this. My two kids are in high school and they were riveted. My my one son, who isn't the one that was watching it obsessively, texted me the result, the verdict. I mean, he must have been watching it live. I mean, instantaneously, he, he knew what the, what the verdict was. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess this is going to be one of those things about this time of year that maybe people will remember in the collective uh, pop cultural history 
that and um, you know Stranger Things, uh, the first half of season four, which I spent all weekend binging because I'm a serious minded person. Yeah, no, I needed a, to take a little brain vacation, and um, it was a fun show. It was fun, you know. Um, it's a silly show, and it's derivative in a lot of ways. But I, I it really, especially towards the end there of these, uh, it's like they're doing that thing where it's like a half season. And then they'll do the other half season in a couple weeks. I don't know why they do this. I guess they they need to create more drama, you know, create more ups and downs and cliffhangery kind of stuff. But um, if you like that kind of thing, I thought it was pretty, pretty good. I mean, you know, it's not Succession. It's not The Sopranos. It's not Prestige TV. But, you know, for what it is, it was, it was an enjoyable romp. And it killed like nine hours of, of our weekend, which was fun. So... Even stranger than stranger things, though, is what happened with Trump and all this stuff and uh, what happens down in Florida. That's like it, the only, you know, stranger things is set in Hawkins, Indiana, which doesn't make any sense because like, you know, it's supposed to be the small town nobody's heard of. And yet it contains multitudes. But I feel like stranger things should be set in Florida. It's almost like a Florida guy kind of like teen show, but it isn't. So what can we do? Anyway, that's enough prattle from me. This is a great conversation. It was great to talk to Gal and get caught up with her. You're going to like it. So we'll be right back with Gal Suburban. Suburban, welcome back to the Prevail Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're recording this on Saturday, May 28th. So this has been a really terrible week, um, I think, objectively for everybody in the country and people watching around the world. Um, I know you've been looking into the story about what happened in Texas and the shootings there and all that kind of stuff. Do you have any thoughts now that you've been had a couple of days to process it and uh, about maybe what happened or what, what this means? Like, I mean, for me, it's been pretty heartening, I think, to see the reaction from the public, the, the sports teams doing their thing. You know, when the Yankees and the Devil Rays were tweeting out like gun statistics, there seems to be a lot more energy now than there's been in the past. And I find that heartening. I don't know if it'll work or do anything or move the needle, but uh, what, what's your take on it right, right now on Saturday morning? Yeah, I mean, I hope that's the case. Um, I think sometimes we have trouble, um, at least uh, in our position politically with momentum. Um, you know, we kind of like, you know, hit a peak of like accelerated, like political action. And then it kind of just filter, you know, like, yeah. like goes away and we don't, uh, continue with that kind of same 
push for change. It's like an, an immediate reaction. Um, I think we maybe tend to lead with our emotions instead of a strategy, which I think the Republicans do better. I think that before they react, they have a strategy already in place about how they're going to accomplish something, which is, which is fine. I'm finding like, you know, a, an empathetic person who cares about people dying, but at the same time, in order to you know, kind of like fix this cycle we're in of basically losing to these people um, and this narrative game, we have to not only come at it with empathy and compassion, but with strategy. And I just, I hope we have some people that are working at, on that for us. It seems like their, their sort of bullshit talking points are being called out a lot more easily this time. That, that seems to be, I mean, for one thing, you know, because the cops that were there did such an atrociously awful job and, uh, you know, they, they might as well have been sitting at a picnic table eating donuts. I mean, for, for what they did, um, a lot of the usual talking points have don't work in this particular situation. Like the whole good guy with a gun can stop the bad guy with a gun trope. Well, which is it? Are the cops not good guys? Or is that just not true and completely? You know, that's one of the things. And then they try to blame every, anything they can think of, you know, other than the guns and the access to guns, which is obviously the problem. So you have Ted Cruz blaming doors and you have <laughs> that idiot from Louisiana blaming feral pigs. And you have, um, was it you that posted the Betsy DeVos thing from a while ago about the grizzly bears and yes, yeah. yes. Oh, you what know. if there's a bear? What yeah, if a bear? What if comes there's in? a bear? And there, there's always these ridiculous uh, excuses, like mental health is another. Obviously, that was on their little talking point. But okay, well, you're not funding mental health, so if it's yeah. mental health, why aren't you funding that? And I feel like for whatever reason, I'm not just sort of the press, but certainly people are seeing through the bullshit more than they have in the past and they're not letting them maybe get away with it as much. And I'm curious to see, even by the time this airs on Friday, next Friday, if, it, if we're still gonna be talking about this or if it's gonna, as you suggest, you know, just sort of fade away. Well, let's hope it doesn't. I mean, I think that almost everybody knows somebody who has lost somebody from COVID. So there is a potential that with an, you know, a recent grief and loss in your own family um, that you have maybe more empathy when somebody else dies. So there's an opportunity maybe that some people who wouldn't be affected by something like this have experienced a loss that they didn't anticipate having that loss within their lifetime. And maybe it helps create some of what we're seeing and maybe a little bit more attention because they, they realize how hard this must be for those families. But their excuses are <laughs> for how all of this happens. I, I met my neighbor, I was saying this on uh, UNLV's uh, show last night in the comment is I have this new neighbor and he's a, uh, what is he, army ranger uh, uh, trainer. And he was, he just randomly came out to talk to me and we ultimately ended up on this shooting situation. And he's like, oh yeah, I support Trump. And I'm sitting here going, oh my God, this neighbor, like, okay, be nice, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> but I had a conversation with him and I, and he said, well, what do you think about it? You know, should they, you know, take all the guns away and, you know, cause that's what they want to do. And I explained to him, I said, look, I don't, I don't, Democrats don't want to take your guns. Like I, that's not 
this is like a completely false uh, narrative. You know, there's certain ways. And, and the way that I kind of explained it to him is like, I asked him, like, do you think an 18 year old should have be able on his 18th birthday to access a weapon of war? 60 magazines, you know, yeah. I mean, that's over a thousand rounds of ammunition. How do you, how do you compile that kind of in one day, a few days after your 18th birthday, that seems like incredibly insane to me that somebody yeah. has access to that. Um, and so I said, what about, you know, to him, what about raising that age to, to 21? You know, and he thought about it and I said, look, look at it this way. Do you think that I understand hunting and everything like that, but this kind of weapon, a weapon of war, you can't eat that meat. The meat that you would kill with that kind of weapon, if you're hunting, would spoil. You would kill so many animals, right? And that, yeah. it's, a gross, it's a gross analogy, but it worked for somebody like him. He was like, oh, that's true. So you can't justify using that as like a hunting weapon or something like that. Because the fact of the matter is, you would not be able to, if you hunted with that, eat the amount of meat before it's spoiled, right? Like somehow it processed with them, but I was like, all right. Good well, for you for a try. Cause I would have just turned around and walked away. I'd be like, once he said the Trump word, like Trump at the NRA convention, reading the names of the, the children who died, mispronouncing them, mangling the names in that ridiculous voice of his, and then doing his little, you know, full diaper jig at the end. And- And the bell. It, yeah, it. I mean, it's so disingenuous. And how can anybody objectively watch that guy and think, that's my guy? I mean, it's a joke. And then the NRA, I was surprised that uh, Wayne LaPierre is still there. I mean, the guy, they, <laughs> he took money from the organization and was using it to buy himself fancy things. Like, he, he stole from you, and you're still going to give him a platform and listen to him? I mean... I just, it, it, it's, it's really just preposterous. Like, I don't understand what goes on in the brains of these people. To, to, I yeah. mean, and we keep pointing out all the, the ridiculous things as you did, like, you know, what about the age? What about the meat? What about like the first words, uh, the, the second word of the second amendment is well-regulated. Like that means well-regulated. It doesn't mean no regulations at all. Like it, it their whole argument is, is ridiculous, but maybe you're right. Maybe the you know, what he said, that that fear that the government's going to come and take all the guns, maybe that needs to be countered. And I think that they, the Democrats do counter it, but I guess we just have to do a better job about it. We just don't want these guns, you know? These aren't even guns. They're, they're this different category, you know? It's like, yeah. a, it's not the same Yeah, these thing. are weapons of war. These yeah. are weapons of war. They are not, you know, you had one of the doctors that was treating some of these patients. Um, it was heart-wrenching to watch her because she was just talking about all of the patients she didn't get. And she said, with these kinds of weapons, these weapons of war, it's the patients that we don't have an opportunity to save that, that are the, you know, the most hard for her and her staff to train for because they're, they train for these uh, mass casualty events. And the fact that there were so many patients that never made it to her. And it was because of that style of weapon. Had it been any other weapon, they could have saved so many lives, you know, in that sort of sense. So, yeah. yeah. And this is also something, you know, 90% higher of the American people want. So, you know, maybe we need yeah. to figure this yeah. out. Anyway, I don't well, want to this... go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, this counters like all of their narratives surrounding Roe too. So it's like, 
it's one of those things where we're in a situation where they live in this delusional hypocrisy that nobody can penetrate with any messaging because nothing makes sense and everything's upside down over there. Yeah. Like you can't, it, they're not, they have no shame. They have no problem with, you know, protecting the life of a fetus. But as soon as, as soon as it's out, like you better get Kevlar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, no. The whole yeah. thing makes, it makes no sense, but then it doesn't make sense. It's a cult. It's a death cult and cults don't make sense. They're based on faith and things that make no sense that any rational person looks at and laughs at because it's garbage. So again, you know, we're, we're doing this on Saturday. Hopefully by Friday we'll get, you know, when this runs, we'll get some, some positive news and, and um, you know, people with platforms will start to use their platforms because I feel like there is uh, some movement and there is some ability. It doesn't take that many senators to, to budge on this. Some people that were going to go to that convention didn't go and canceled. Even Greg Abbott uh, didn't show up in person, you know, and, and, and for that to happen, that's not nothing. That is something that's politically important. You know, just like the Yankees tweeting the thing. And when I watched the basketball game, when they did the, the announcement and urged the fans to call Congress, um, I almost fell out of my chair and the NBA is very progressive, but still they don't do stuff like that. And the right. people in the crowd clapped, they applauded like they were waiting. You know, they were, you could feel it. They were all like, are we going to do another bullshit moment of silence? And when they did that, they went the extra step and everybody applauded. And I think that was, that it's was time. a good thing. It's, it's time. time. It's past time. Yeah. Okay. Moving on from that. Let's, let's get you, you're the resident uh, Florida expert. So, um, I want to get uh, a little bit of an update on what's going on in Florida with your your fun cast of characters. Yes. You know, Joel Greenberg, they keep pushing this the sentencing back because I guess he keeps cooperating. Um, what are you hearing now? What can we expect? What are the milestones that we might get to see um, in the weeks and months ahead? Yeah, so he uh, just, what was it last month? Is it, or a couple of weeks ago, actually, May 16th, I think it was. Um, they went ahead and they extended his sentencing date again. So it looks like it's getting pushed back uh, to August. So, I mean, you can speculate that means that he's obviously providing a, a lot of information that they have to corroborate and likely use him for grand jury, um, you know, uh, conversations as a witness. And we've seen some of the fruits of that, I believe, because just this week, we had three people in the kind of Orlando Mafia uh, frat pack is uh, kind of how I label them that were tied to this ghost candidate scheme mm. in Central Florida. We they were arrested, including the ghost candidate themselves, um, which you have down in South Florida. That case is already kind of progressing. That ghost candidate, he entered a, a, a guilty plea. But Frank Artiles, who's, you know, um, a political operative down there, um, he pleaded not guilty. So he has a trial that he'll be going through. But stemming from that and in connection with Greenberg is this network of you know, political operatives and fake candidates that the Florida Republican Party was running, especially in the 2020 election, because they had four fake candidates. And because of those four Republicans winning those races, they, they gained or maintained majority of the state legislature. And if you look at what the state legislature in Florida has been doing since that election, I mean, it's very clear that you have illegitimately elected people making decisions that are catastrophic 
for the state of Florida and just in general because of DeSantis. Yeah, so. DeSantis is is dangerous, and I think he and Greg Abbott are trying to at, out asshole each other at, at every turn and try to prove there. It's like you know, little Mussolini and little Hitler trying to determine which one is more evil. Um, so by ghost candidates, just to be clear, you mean that they basically the is it that the party, the Republicans ran people as independents to siphon votes away from the Democrats? Is that what happened? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So what they do is they'll, you know, find somebody and in particular in South Florida, they actually found somebody like with the same name as like a famous baseball player. Yeah. You know, so there, it's very tricky. Usually it's a Hispanic name and that's just to, you know, siphon. I mean, it's very strategic how they do it. So, yeah, that's that's particularly what they did. And in this case, you have the operatives who were paying the campaign registration fees and you had um, like one of the guys is a former mayor of Longwood, Florida, over there in central Florida. And he was giving money to people that he knew to donate to her campaign. So it was not under his name. I mean, it's just, it's all fraud, you know? Um, so, okay. But they've, they're, now they've gotten arrested and they, they pled guilty. The, the ghost candidate pled guilty. What law, I mean, did he not, was he not running for real? Like what law did he break? How how did they how did they do it? Do you know? Yeah, so kidding. they charged. Uh, let's see, they charged her with. I don't mean I don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm just curious what like what their defense no, no, no. would be. Yeah. Yeah, they charged her with commission of a false, fictitious, or fraudulent act, um, which I mean, it's a statute and the it's a state yeah. uh, Florida. Um, they also charged her with perjury so I guess when she you know gave her initial statement she lied and then false reporting uh, and accepting uh, co contributions in excess they're really measly charges I'm going to be honest with you and and part of that with these three recent ones which is Justine Iannotti um, Ben Paris and Eagle, uh, Eric Fogelsung these charges came out of Phil Archer he's a state attorney um, for the for that district um, and I just, these are, I think personally, these are just kind of like window dressing. I mm. think he, it, I think he was getting a lot of pressure to investigate this ghost candidate, candidate scheme in um, district nine. And this is his product of that because these are kind of nothing charges. They're kind of silly. And there's a lot of people that were involved in that, that, that should be on that list. So do we think that that this is like just the beginning of it, of something, or is this just the slap on the wrist and then and then that'll be it? My hope is, is that federal uh, investigators that are working with Greenberg are going to supersede what Phil Archer yeah. has done. And I think, I can't imagine that they won't because if they have, I mean, I'm just an open source researcher. So imagine the information they must have when they have bank statements and things like that. I cannot imagine that they don't see what, what I see and, and how fast it is. And it, it goes directly up to Ballard Partners, which is where you have Brian Ballard, uh, you know, Chris Dorworth, Pam Bondi, you know, um, and uh, Rhonda Santis himself. I, I mean, I'm confident in that. Okay. Yeah. Um... If you missed the first episode uh, that Gal was on, dear uh, dear listeners, I was going to say dear readers, um, <laughs> we go into into depth about who all these people are, but they're all they're all Florida swamp creatures, basically. 
So, okay. And then what, what's, what's the deal with Matt Gates? Because he's still out there. He's still um, being a dick and uh, you know, just doing douchey, awful things as he does is, is, uh, is Greenberg going to take him down? We'll see. We'll see. Um, I won't be surprised if Matt finagles a way to save himself through giving up somebody else. Um, but with this recent, the recent indictments with Ben and this uh, ghost candidate and Eric, um, it will, it has something to do with Matt. And that is Jason Broder, who was basically the beneficiary of Iannotti's independent candidacy, um, was at his, uh, what was it? celebration or um, election party, it was observed and overheard that Matt Gates and Frank Artillis, who was on trial in South Florida, and a few others were actually talking about this scheme. So there was at least some kind of understanding that Matt Gates was at least aware or familiar with what they were running with these ghost candidates. So they're, they're looking at, I think, um, from a while ago, they've been looking at Matt for different corruption, pay to play, public corruption, whether it be the medical marijuana industry or, or some of these shill candidate schemes, because he was in, in these circles during these times. Okay. All right. So that's what's going on in Florida. Um, okay. So this is a good time to take a break because I've got more, I've got more topics to run by you. Um, so we'll be right back with Gal Suburban. Hey, everybody, it's LB. This episode of Prevail is brought to you by our new Friday night show, The 5-8, airing live on YouTube at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. On The 5-8, Greg and I discuss five topics for eight minutes each, and you never know who might drop by. So pour yourself a cocktail or a cup of tea and join us tonight on The 5-8. You can subscribe on our YouTube channel, The 5-8, F-I-V-E, and the number 8. See you later. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with Gal Suburban. Now, I wanted to talk with you, especially about this piece that you wrote uh, for Jim Stewartson's Substack page about the insurrection and this whole plot and scheme, I guess, to you know keep Trump in office basically by any means necessary. And your, your working theory here in the piece is that the insurrection itself was plan B and that the, the first plan, the primary plan, which got scuttled, um, actually involved US aid and executive order 013848. So why don't you tell everybody what you saw and uh, explain how this all kind of fits together. Yeah, so it was me and some other open source researchers. We'd been compiling a bunch of some of the darker right-wing obscure podcasts and videos kind of leading up to the insurrection that most people don't watch and I don't recommend you do. Um, and we you know, were compiling that to get to the January 6th committee because those were where they had those conversations, not out quite in the open. Um, and so I listened to hours and hours of this, and I noticed this one guy, his name is Phil Klein. He was the former Kansas attorney general. He's a Liberty University professor. He worked at the Amistad Project. People like Bernie Carrick and Tony Schaefer were kind of with him when they, they would deal with these, like, quote, whistleblowers of the fraud and whatever, right? Um, Cleta Mitchell also. I don't know if I say her, her name right. Is it Cleta or 
Cleta. Cleta? I don't I don't know. It's, a, it's an ugly name it's either awful. way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Cle it's like the feminine <laughs> version of Cletus, I believe. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> fun. Maybe that's mm -hmm. why she's so angry. Um, so <laughs> they were kind of involved, Phil Klein, in manufacturing a lot of this fraud and these like silly PDF reports that you saw with a bunch of bogus data. But he was on OAN in one of these, you know, things that I was watching. And he made this really weird comment where he said, you know, if you go to the United States Agency for International Aid, uh, you know, that's where we monitor foreign elections. And I was like, wait a minute, what? What did he just say? Like, and I was like, rewind. And it had nothing to do with what he was talking about at the time, but it kind of just got me thinking like, why is that in his head? You know? And so when I started kind of going through it, I realized, oh shit, like this is, you know, Operation Iraqi Freedom. And when we talk about all of these former military um, who support Flynn and Trump and all of these people, yeah. their service time was during those years where they were, you know, liberating Iraq and hosting elections for them. Um, and I thought to myself, oh, shit, like, so they're familiar with the military running elections because that's what they were doing there. And so when I started looking into it, there was an executive order, which um, everybody talked about, Mike, from Mike Flynn to Rudy Giuliani um, back in September of 2018. And that was a foreign interference executive order that required the ODNI and other agencies to, within 45 days from an election, they needed to um, have a report ready for the president to look and to see if there were any, you know, instances of foreign interference in, in our elections. And this is, now this is, this is Trump's executive order, right? Yes. Okay. And yeah. we know, we know about Trump. If there's one thing Trump likes, it's reports and reading them. He's really- Oh, he loves to read. I mean, it's definitely his idea for sure not yeah. his idea. And um, <laughs> I mean, if I had to guess, we'll go back to Cleta, Cleta. I think Cleta, um, you know, Jay Christian Adams. Uh, I can never say this guy's name. Um, Hans Vagovagovka, whatever, from Heritage Foundation. I think these people are kind of the masterminds behind that. I, I always call Trump like the Trojan horse of, yeah. you know, of the, of the right. You know, these people who've been orchestrating this attack on democracy for 30 40 years like you right. know trump's trump was their guy they just like hopped up inside and rammed through the doors yep um but yeah so this executive order essentially it said it requires it to have these reports uh, within 45 days which would have been december 18th that's when it was due on december 16th the odni and and by the way this is uh ratcliffe ratcliffe John, I, I remember John ratcliffe, ratcliffe. Because yeah. it has the word rat right in the name. So he was easy to remember. It, yeah. yeah. Very appropriate for what he did. I, I hope that they subpoena him. So January 6th, if you're listening, you need to subpoena him. But um, he uh, he was going on Bartiromo and all these other things, like leading up to the 18th. Right. Because um, he knew, I mean, he knew that, that the interference, the foreign interference of like Venezuela and like, <laughs> you know, Italy, that, you know, Italy gate and all these bullshit uh, theories, he knew they were lies. And he knew that the intelligence community wasn't going to find them substantial enough to put them in the report. They wanted to blame China and overwhelmingly, you know, push that China was interfering, not Russia, which happened to be wrong. But he was kind of laying the seeds for that leading up to the 18th. Well, on December 16th, somebody from the ODNI office tweeted out 
that their report, their ODNI report in relation to that executive order was not going to be done on time. Okay. So somebody in the intelligence community like needs a, a fucking medal, excuse my language, because somebody delayed that on purpose, right? They saw okay. what was gonna happen. So if you recall hearing about that meeting at, in the Oval Office with Sidney Powell, Patrick Byrne, Mike yeah. Flynn, all those guys where they were, you know, it was like they were yelling and they were, now we know there was an, an unplanned meeting. Order. They just showed up there and sort of demanded yeah. entrance and they finagled their way in somehow. They yeah. sweet talk somebody. Peter Navarro, yeah. Peter Navarro's aide, uh, Garrett Ziegler, let them in. And then he lost his clearance. Mark, Mark Meadows got like grumpy about it or whatever. Um, <laughs> but during that meeting, they were fighting about being able to execute this executive order without the ODNI report. So it was a really big issue for them because I, I believe their initial plan was they expected to receive that on the 18th. I believe they were gonna use that to declare at least in the swing states, if not the whole country, that the election was null and void, that there was significant um, you know, international or, or foreign interference, and they were going to rerun the elections. But because that report did not come on the 18th, they had to scramble. Yeah. And on the 19th of December is when Trump sent out the infamous tweet, come to DC on January 6th, will be wild. So when you look at that, you know, the timing, the 16th, it, they say, you're not going to get it on the 18th. The 18th, they're fighting about whether or not they can still execute an executive order to seize voting machines and rerun elections. Obviously they decide not to, that executive order draft was never signed. And then on the 19th is when he says, okay, we're gonna have to tackle it through January 6th. This is fascinating. So the executive order basically would be a pretext for what were they going to do? They were gonna seize the voting machines and run diagnostics? Rerun elections. And just actually rerun them, but the military was gonna do it through the through USAID, is that? I mean, so I think in my in my kind of assessment of it um, is that I, I believe they were going to use USAID as kind of a like a really fluffy, um, I don't know, window dressing way of making it look less like an authoritarian takeover um, because they could frame it in such a way because USAID has departments that are you know, really nicely titled, like transparency, governance and transition and like, yeah. you know, and democracy and human rights. And, you know, it's all these like really democratic or democratically focused kind of language about how, you know, we help other countries um, escape authoritarians and, and tyrants and dictators and such. And so I think what they were going to do was seize the voting machines with the military, but then use um, what USAID does in other countries, which is they train poll workers. They um, have all of the pamphlets, paperwork, voting kind of equipment and infrastructure. They, like in Iraq, they, they trained thousands, tens of thousands of poll workers. Yeah. Um, all over the country. And so they already have the training material, the infrastructure, they could pop up an election in a day, have it done within a few days. And if you go back and notice what people like Patrick Byrne and some of these other, you know, other players, Mike Flynn and those were saying at the time is, oh, well, we could totally just recount it and have it rerun within like 10 days. Yeah. The mil that, that was because they knew that USAID could make could do that. And so I think what they were going to do is use USAID as the election infrastructure to monitor um, 
the uh, you know rerunning of these elections. It seems to me that they were just trying anything they could think of to muddy the waters and to try to get to sow doubt in people's minds that the election was valid. I think, you know, the whole Louis DeJoy thing and, and the, you know, sort of dismantling the post office to fuck up the mail-in votes, I think, you know, that's the prevailing theory anyway. I don't see any reason why that isn't a thing. Not that any one of these things might have succeeded unilaterally, but some combination of them would at least make people in the street doubt the, the sanctity of the election, you know? and. Yeah. The fact that people like me have been yelling about foreign interference in, in the campaign for years doesn't, you know, they take that and subvert it, you know, to say, yes, there is foreign interference and this is what we're going to do about it. Um, you know, that's that if, if in fact that's what they were doing, it would be sneaky, brilliant to use that uh, against us, that this real charge against us in that Goebbelsy way that these people have. So, um, and then what happens is it just it, it bleeds into January 6th. So, yeah, I just think they're throwing spaghetti at the wall and, um, you know, good on you for, for laying yeah. out the uh, the timeline there. Um, you well, know, there, it's important there... because you remember how he installed all of those people. I was going to say, uh, right. Yeah. You know, in early mm -hmm. November, you have like Cash Patel, Chris Miller, Ezra Cohen-Watnick, you know, Tata and all these other people that you know he maneuvered he did the same thing at the at USAID so okay. he actually he had an acting um, administrator of USAID um, which is John Barza who's like a crazy anti-Muslim extremist by the way so okay. a lot of act for America Bridget Gabriel people involved in all of this but uh, he was the acting director or acting administrator right well they had his time was running out before because he was never obviously confirmed by the Senate. And they think they have 200 and something days or whatever mm -hmm. before the acting has to you know, get going. So he actually fired the deputy administrator of USAID and moved him into that position on November 9th. So, I mean, it's very obvious what he was doing. And that guy came in with you know, guns blazing, told it's on recording, he told all of the employees on like a conference call that you know, the GSA, um, has not determined who the winner is yet, and therefore there is no transition. I mean, he told the entire was, U.S. aid. Was that the Emily Murphy lady? Is that who that was? Emily Murphy was the GSA. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Now, if we, I remember her because I remember thinking she wants to be the fourth Mrs. Trump. It feels like that's what she was angling for. Um, yeah. The yeah. sad, she was holding that pathetic up. Yep. spectacle. I mean, just yeah. a pathetic person. But yeah. Okay, so you have her, and I remember her. Uh, very vividly holding that up, and th this guy Barca, at, at uh, you know, who's just been installed there without any sort of Senate confirmation, saying we're not going to do anything unless she gives the go ahead, and it just delays the process. So, and then it, and then right. it comes to January sixth, which, you know, whatever happened, the idea of it, the underlying idea, as I understand it, was to delay, you know, because there are these yes. kind of these um, deadlines that are written into the constitution and stuff where stuff has to happen by certain dates. And if it doesn't, well, then we can argue, blah, 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 blah. You know, why these attorneys find it okay to be able to argue that the will of the people should be just, you know, thrown away and not listened to is un-American and awful and they should all be disbarred immediately. But yeah. that's, that's just my opinion. And then Mike Flynn, what do you make of like, Mike Flynn goes on the Alex Jones show on January 5th and he says that that wackadoodle thing about 
you know, Trump is going to be reinaugurated, and I think it's a ten out of ten that this is going to happen. Why do you yeah. think he's why do you why why do you think he said that at that time? Do you think it's because of he thought J six was going to succeed or this USA so thing? I think or? when you when you talk about um, the them needing to delay, mm -hmm. um, I go back to this executive order thirteen four eight four, and I believe that that had been the solid plan all along, and then they had kind of parallel plans that were running just in case. This was their main plan because in that Alex Jones interview, he actually specifically mentions thirteen eight four eight about foreign interference. He talks about how Trump has the authority through that executive order to declare martial law or the Insurrection Act um, and recount votes in swing states. So I think um, they, I think part of the uh, January 6th was to delay. Um, I don't, I think they knew that they weren't going to get um, it kicked back to the states. I really don't. I think that was all a fucking show to kind of buy time for their supporters to be encouraged to break in and, and, and go in and help the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys and the people who had planned to sit in to the Capitol until the ODNI report came. That's what I think. I really do. I really think that you know it was kind of they they obviously set it up to where oh shit if this worked holy crap it goes back to the states and you have these alternate electors and whatever but i think mostly it was they didn't want it certified so they could delay execute the from the executive order and rerun in uh, the elections in the swing states no matter what i mean we you know the more space and distance that we have from from all of this stuff the, the more I feel lucky that we averted catastrophe. I mean, we, I, we, we were really hanging by a thread there. And uh, I don't know what, what would have happened if any, you know, even if Pence hadn't, you know, found one of his few moments of, of, uh, of courage um, and his, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Repudiation of Trump uh, in that moment. Yeah. You know, I don't know where we would be. Not to suggest Mike Pence is some kind of hero because he's awful right. and is as the chair of the uh, White House uh, pandemic response force is responsible for a million dead Americans. Right. So let's let's not throw him any flowers. But you know, right. um, lots of things had to break in just such a way, or it could have been really, really much worse yeah. than it was. It was already awful, but it it, it could have been. Much I'd like worse. to know who at. Um who in the intelligence community delayed that report. Yeah. I think who, whoever relayed that information to Ratcliffe probably saved the country. Whoever told them it's not going to be done by the 18th, that's, that's, we will probably never know. And we never probably should just because of, hmm. you know, the people we're dealing with, but we need to know that there were people in our intelligence community it's, as, as, a, as much as they fail us, there are people within there that clearly um, you know, have a nonpartisan uh, democracy forward kind of, you know, that's why they're there. So there are good people there. We just have to yeah, get, absolutely. Get, keep them there. <laughs> good on you, anonymous person that saved democracy. Well, I was going to tell you real quick too, mm -hmm. um, just as a fun note to this USA thing and Mike Flynn and Patrick Byrne, they run the America Project, which basically funded the fraud in Arizona, right? Right. Well, they just recently hired this guy. His name is Tim Meisberg. And he was the 
um, assistant administrator over the democracy and elections at USAID. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of um, interesting people that he installed there. Um, it's very connected to the State Department and Mike Pompeo, which on the 12th, I think it was, you remember Mike Pompeo saying, oh, there will be a smooth transi transition to another Trump administration. Mm, I right? do remember that. So yeah. let's not forget Mike Pompeo and all of these conversations. I would love he to, is, but I uh, guess we do have to recall. Scary. Yeah, yeah, scary. yeah. You know, Mike Flynn <laughs> is the, um, the first... U.S. guy in that position, in his capacity as uh, what was he, the DIA head to visit the the GRU headquarters, and you know right. famously sat at the table with Putin, um, you know, and and Jill Stein right, right. at the and, RT celebratory dinner or something, yeah. And Patrick Byrne was stooping <laughs> Maria Bettina. I mean, have you heard that Spy Talk podcast? It's really yes, something. Yes, it's great. It's, it's really unbelievable. great. It, <laughs> I had her on my podcast because I, I couldn't believe that that existed. And uh, yeah. it, it really was something. So um, it's incredible. I mean, he's, he's, um, he's a factory of delusions. It's, he's incredible. I mean, he is like a specimen. I, I mean, I, I hope people are, you know, studying him because I, I he's, it's an interesting cat. He's very yeah. I feel like I'm going to buy my my pillows at Overstock.com and ship them there. And Teslas. Uh, <laughs> I don't. These you know, it's just don't forget to use PayPal. Right, right. It's ruining their brands. Right. You know, just with their yeah. with their singular awfulness. Maria Butina, her friend is a Katarina something. She was just indicted too. You know. Oh. Um, it was another Russian outfit here, and um, and guess who was her partner in that is Mikhail Margulis, who was part of my story in Florida. So. That's right. Okay, that's right. It all it all comes back to Florida. <laughs> Florida is pretty bad, guys. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Every, everything comes back to Florida. Well, that's the you know sunny Isles and the whole thing. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so okay, so the J six uh, committee exists and we're going to have these public uh hearings in june um what what's your feeling about that what do you think about the job that they're doing do you think that the hearings are going to be effective do you think we're going to learn stuff what's your what's your sense going into this um yeah from what i've seen and subpoenas that they have dished out i think they know what happened i think they have um a very clear picture about uh, how far it goes back. It's not just the 2020 election. Um, you know, Mike Pence headed up the election investigative commission or something in 2017 when he when the Trump administration first took office. And people that were in that commission were Coletta Mitchell, Oswegovi, whatever the heritage guy. Um, you know, all of these same. I mean, these same people um, yeah. that are part of this, you know, fraudulent electors schemes. I think they know, I think that they know that um, there were these, you know, conservative activists like Guinea Thomas and um, all these people that have been involved in this for a long time. And I hope, I hope that part of their uh, legislative, you know, purpose will be to look at some of these um, think tanks. I mean, I call them, in, you know, institutes of mass destruction. 
yeah. because all of these like institutes and whatever, I mean, they're just so anti-democratic. It's not even funny, but I think we're going to learn a lot. I mean, I think they know, especially John Eastman, Cleta Mitchell, Guinea Thomas, some of these, um, you know, conservative operators who've been involved in some of the worst decisions in, you know, recent American history, um, that they were very much involved. Um, and Trump knew all, all of it. Yeah. Um, he was, he was telling them, get this done for me. And they were scrambling to do it. And I, I think, I think they're going to paint a really good picture. Now what the department of justice does with it, you know, is a whole other thing and, and getting people to watch it that watch right-wing channels. That's, that's, that's the part that's tough. So I don't know if some of these people have to try and get on some of those right-wing channels and be interviewed and be hounded and just stick to their guns and keep saying the facts. I mean, that's what Peter Navarro and some of these guys do. And on our, you know, on our, yeah. you know, left-leaning, we've got to get in front of the people. We can't avoid them. So it's like some of, some of these people have got to get on those channels and put it in front of people and at least pique their curiosity to see what they're talking about. Because I don't know how else to get them to watch it. I was thinking about it, and I think that, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful about it because there's a couple of things. First, I mean, because there are no Kevin McCarthy's or Jim Jordan's or any fuckwads on this committee, um, you're not going to have those times like in a usual Senate hearing where somebody's saying something important, and then there's the grandstanding by the asshole that went to Moscow on, Jan on July 4th uh, a couple of years ago. You know, we're not going to have that. It's going to be, you know, a serious kind of business. And I think that the the real zombies who are just all in on this, like I think people like Ginny Thomas and and Cleta Clyda, whatever her name is, I think they're true believers. I think they've drunk the Kool Aid and they really believe that this is the thing and that the election really was stolen. Because how could how could Trump not win? He was doing such a great job or whatever that goes on in their brains, um, you know. But to those people are lost. It's like. If you read Fast Food Nation and, and he, he, read, he talks in there about there's a certain percentage of people that are just never going to eat at McDonald's and we don't try to market to them. But I think there's most people in this country, if not many, are just not paying attention and they don't. Sometimes they vote, sometimes they don't. They're just busy with their lives and they can't be bothered. This is the sort of thing that maybe will draw them in because it's a trial. Americans like to watch shit like this. They do. Um, we love reality TV. Kids like to watch it too. <laughs> my 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 15 year old is like in that in his room watching this Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing. I'm like, I have no interest in that whatsoever. But people like this stuff, and you know, the insurrection is not an in, an insignificant historical event. So, I uh, I feel like Fox is at least going to have to acknowledge it. If not, you know, maybe they'll spin it. They'll say it's just the Democrats, blah, blah, blah. But like they're going to have to they can't just completely ignore it. I don't think it's going to be on Facebook. People are going to be talking about it, you know, just out of curiosity. I think people might have to tune in. Maybe maybe this is wishful thinking on my part, but I think if it's done right and you know, Raskin said it's going to blow people's minds. I forget what the exact quote was. Yeah. If it really does you know, mm -hmm. then, okay. If they have stuff that we haven't seen yet, that's like real they evidence. Do. I, they do. If they have Trump, if they have like audio of Trump talking, uh, you know, right. there's things they could have that we haven't seen yet that people are going to be like, holy shit, right? Some of it I've sent to them. 
So, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so I do expect them to be, um, it's going to include a lot of video and audio, I believe, you know, just straight hard evidence from the mouths of these people that were committed, you know, that were working behind the scenes. I mean, on January 3rd, Trump held a conference call with Rudy Giuliani, Phil Klein, um, John Eastman, all of these people with hundreds, like over 300 state legislatures to push this uh, fraudulent electors that theory. And this was three days before the insurrection. So, and he, Trump was on that call and he told them, You're, you guys need to do this. It's within your you know, authority to do this. You know, and it was, you know, based off of this stupid state, you know, legislation uh, doctrine that these people have always like, you know, held up. But, you know, and people like Thomas, Clarence Thomas, actually kind of nudged at it in some of his opinions yeah. about the state legislatures. So they, it was all a plan, you know, everything. And I think they'll have that kind of stuff. I mean, I have lots of weird, obscure podcasts that we've, you know, myself and a couple other um, OSINT researchers have, have gotten to the committee. We've also kind of, we think we may have narrowed it down the pipe bomber. Um, so we've put a lot of energy into that and getting some information to um, special investigators on that. So there's going to be a lot, I think, that people, they just haven't ventured to go into those places to see them. So we did. And we yeah. dug it out and we like sent it over and said, You're, it's gross, but go ahead, you know, but um, yeah. It's not Marjorie Taylor Greene, is it? Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> no. The fact that that's even a possibility at all is mind blowing. That's all. right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Oh. The, yeah. The fact that we can even entertain it at all is, is just speaks to where we are as a, as a country right now. Um, <laughs> right. I, I don't know, Those I are true insurgents into our government. There's like a true insurgency. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be real interesting to see what happens. So yeah, I think that if things really are mind blowing, I mean, is Tucker Carlson gonna just keep talking about pandas fucking? I mean, I guess, and <laughs> and, and and the 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 sexy M and M's or whatever it is, and you know how Orban is so wonderful. I guess yeah. you know, but like they're gonna have to talk about it in some way. Yeah, and maybe it's not impossible that Fox will pivot. I mean, I thought years ago, and I was wrong about this, you know, I thought that there would come a time when Trump's criminality would be so obvious that Fox would turn on him. And when they turned on him, I, I thought it won't be like, it won't be gradual. It'll be like, you know, one day we're at war with uh, Eurasia and the next day we're at war with uh, whatever the other one is, you know, and, uh, and that's it. it. Just on a dime, they'll, they'll pivot and, and, and savage him. And people yeah. will watch and just that, that's it because they have no ability to remember anything that happened three days ago anyway. They have no narrative thread. They just they take the 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 disinformation with a dollop of honey like like they do. So yeah, that, that, I, that's in the cards, too, that that there will be some kind of pivot on Fox, you know, to, to pivot away yeah. from this and, and protect themselves because they're fucking culpable in what went on. Yes. I mean, Hannity was in direct communication yeah you know with meadows i think meadows is in big trouble mark meadows is in big big trouble if not that he you know was registered in two places to vote and committed election fraud on his on his own he orchestrated this he was the he was the coordinator in chief of of treason i mean that's that's just what he his job was he's such a he's so stupid 
did you hear the story? Hugo Lowell was on my podcast and told this story that it was it was circulating around the 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 you know the White House press corps, and he what he wasn't sure if it was true or not. But Mark Meadows, like after he left, he was circulating the idea that he was being considered for chief of staff because he hoped that that would help him get higher paying jobs on K Street. And then the Trump people got wind of it and actually offered him the job of chief of staff. Oh my God. And that's how he got the job apparently of chief of staff. Like that's how it was even came about. I don't know if that's true. It's just what Hugo heard and told me on the podcast, but like to bumble into this and then continue to bumble through the insurrection and just doing all this stuff. And then yeah. incriminate, like you're trying to, you're going to turn over some things, not other things. Like he's pissed off everybody. He was terribly bad at choosing what he turned over, by the way. Oh. Like he might as well just turn it all over because what yeah. he did turn over was like, okay, well, you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, why, why did you give us all this? You know, his, yeah. his being dumb is, is, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely, yeah. thank God that we had somebody stupid in this position yeah. because if we had someone smart, who knows what would have happened, you know? Well, I think that's why Guinea Thomas was texting him, you know, like, yeah. Because she, I mean, uh, you know, conservative uh, circles, she's, I mean, she's not dumb. No, And neither is Cleta, her friend, Cleta Mitchell, and the people at CNP and all those people. I mean, they were probably pissed at Meadows. Meadows fucked it up for them because he was so dumb about it, you know? So, yeah, yeah, that's probably why he was getting hounded by them. <laughs> why? Oh, my but, God. What a dumb, dumb, dumb yeah. guy. But, you know, thank God that, thank God that he's dumb. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see. What's going to happen here? Because, um, you know, spoiler alert, Trump did this, but mm -hmm. are we going to, I feel like we've been waiting for years now for this smoking gun that everybody can sort of get behind, even though, as I've said a bunch of times, like he's already committed a lot of crimes, guys. We don't need new ones. We just need to get, mm -hmm. get them for the ones that he's already done. And it looks like, I guess it came out today, again, Saturday, uh, May 28th, because this stuff is changing fast that um, the DOJ has been interviewing a lot of people in Georgia about oh, good. about okay. pressuring Ratzenberger and, and, and stuff like that. So if they can get Trump on something that's pretty cut and dry and not some vast conspiracy, um, yeah. that would at least be an easier thing to get him with. And then it would invalidate him from running again, which I think is yeah. important. I, you know, it's really disappointing that, um, you know, all those Republicans kind of, you know, condemned him, but then wouldn't impeach him um, for the insurrection, because I, I think we all know they don't, they didn't want him to run again. I, I think most people don't want him to run again, and they had the opportunity to prevent him from running again. Yeah. Like, right there, they could, and he would have been over it by now. He would have just found something else to, like, you know, complain about or repeat a thousand times at one of his stupid rallies, which he's having right now, like right now, actually. But, oh you know, and, and so it's like, they, they can't complain either. So, you know, they, they had an opportunity to, to put the kibosh on that and they didn't. I, I, I brought this up on the, on the pod before too. And it, again, and, and you're right. It's one of the great mysteries, I think, or, or, that, that I don't understand. There's a lot of things that I really don't understand where they did have off ramps. Like, the first impeachment was in January of, of uh, 2020, right? So it's mm -hmm. it's before COVID, before COVID. COVID already, people right. have it, but it's the pandemic hasn't happened yet. It's early enough that before that that's happened. And all they have to do is, is get rid of them. 
if the Senate gets rid of him, what happens? Mike Pence becomes president. Yeah. Probably Mike Pence doesn't fuck up the COVID response in the way that Trump fucked up the COVID response. He runs for president. He might win. And then the Republicans yeah. have their guy. Oh, yeah. Hundreds He's the end, day, end days, dude. Yeah. Yeah. People are, you know, are, are still alive. And I asked this, um, Amanda Carpenter was on, um, she writes for the Bulwark, and I asked her and she said, I think it was her that said, you know, they need his, they need the cult of personality. Like Trump has that, that key right. rating, oh, yeah. which Pence obviously does not have. You know, yeah, Pence is, he's very vanilla. Yeah, um, very, very, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> he's like, he's like a, a, a soft serve in human form, you know, with a yeah, fly a on his head. cracker. Yeah, like, um, but he sounds he when he talks he has the ability to draw you in because he has a nice calm soothing voice and i think his his job always was to take the trump bullshit and make it seem less crazy but if he was in charge i don't know you know it might have totally would have worked out differently you know i don't know um, he's almost Biden... scarier than oh, trump because he yeah. believes all the insane shit trump just plays you know a, a crazy evangelical on tv he doesn't oh, believe any of it. Yeah. He doesn't practice any of it. But Mike Pence does. Like, yeah, he's a, he's scary. Him and Pompeo. I mean, they scare me. So I hope they get wrapped up in this because I, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think Pence saved the day. I think somebody at ODNI did. You know? I think you, I think you're right. And um, you know, Pence is clearly running for president now. There, there's all these signs. Um, Tom Lobianco has been who, who wrote the book about about Pence has been writing reports about it and he's clearly thrown himself into the fray um pompeo is too i mean do people want these guys like i don't understand i i don't get i, I don't understand it at all so what do i know but it seems to me that if this yeah. thing breaks down and the republican party collapses under the weight of the trump crimes which it should if democracy it is going to survive it must the next presidential nominee for the Republican Party is going to be Liz Cheney because she's the only person that isn't a fucking traitor. And that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you have a woman running with with her record now, her ability to stick it to Trump against an old white guy that 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 is a winning formula if she gets the Republicans. That's dangerous her. to Democrats. But yes. Republicans for some reason like took their brain out and like threw it over there, kicked it around a little bit, and then like tried to fit it back in their head with all these stupid fucking ideas that make them do totally ridiculous decisions. And they're not going to support Liz Cheney because, you know, they it, the whole narrative around her is that she's a traitor to them. So it would be the smartest thing for them to run her, yeah. you know, and it'd be bad for us. I'm going to just be honest. I mean, that's the Cheney family. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, it, not the it, greatest record there, but you're the right. That, I mean, again, it, the fact that should. we're rooting for the Cheney family <laughs> is again, it's, it's, yeah. uh, these are strange yeah. days indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would just need more fighters. I think part of the appeal of the Republican party has been that they, you know, they're full of shit and they don't actually mean it, but they claim to be fighters. They, they claim to be fighters for their voters. Um, and I and I don't see that necessarily from us. I mean, I think Beto um, O'Rourke kind of portrayed that the other day when he walked in to that stadium and he's like, "You're wrong, and this is on you." And and that I think motivated people. And we need leaders who are not afraid of optics. They're not afraid of what the right may throw back at them because they're standing on principle. They're standing on facts, 
and they, you know, just don't care because it's the right thing to do. And until we see more of that, I, I would, I hope we see more of that, I guess is what I, I mean. agree that we have to think outside the box and sort of shake things up a little bit, which is something that Trump was very good at it, for yeah. evil, you know, for, for ill, yes. but he tried things and the Democrats need to try things and Schumer shutting down the Senate now <sighs> is just, I, that guy's got, I, I'm enough with him. He's outlived yeah. his usefulness and, and, and he's just such an old guard unable, I think, to see beyond the, the little bullshit that's always been the, the way of the Senate. Yeah. I think we need somebody in there that isn't that way that will try, try shit. Klobuchar would be my choice, yeah. you know, but, but. Oh uh, yeah. Or uh, White House. Yeah, know. sure. Um, yeah. So somebody, but it, I, I yeah. don't know that we're going to get that. And uh, the Senate is so fucked anyway, because of the way that it's designed yeah. and rigged against, you know, the majority of the people. It's an anti-democratic establishment that was, intended to protect the slave states, you know, that's right. Why. And I think Democrats need to stop looking so much at federal congressional seats and look at states, because that is the trick that Republicans have pulled to get where we're at, at the federal level. They started at, you know, dog catcher and they moved up. And so unless Democrats start focusing on those local races, school board, city council, and start, you know, sort of training and and teaching the political process to up-and-comers who want to affect change in America, we're going to keep losing if all we do is focus on these federal races. I think yeah. we have to focus locally. That's what affects the people the most. And that's how we move those really good candidates up into federal seats. But Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. We also need to challenge the pardons, but, you know. I, I don't understand that. I, I, I've been on that from the get-go. It's like... Why do we just, we put these guys in jail. They're supposed to be in jail. Manafort was in jail. That's where he should be. Now yeah. he's out of jail treasoning again. And, you know. Yep. Um, Roger Stone, Mike Flynn, yeah. you know, it, it, Sebastian it, Gorka. Like, uh, or he, wait, what's the guy's name? He didn't get Not it Gorka. Done. Gorka didn't get the it The other done. one, um, Dinesh D'Souza, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Dinesh. What Sorry. a buffoon. What a buffoon that guy is. Just a 2, sad- 2,000 mules, man. Sad buffoon. <laughs> you pay me 2,000 bucks, I wouldn't watch that fucking piece of shit movie. Um, oh, I know. I know. I yeah. Just, yeah. You got to chat. I, I like what uh, Glenn Kirshner, I think he says about it is, uh, I think one of his kind of suggestions was, look, we have four members of Congress right now who are have a subpoena and uh, they could be held in contempt and Glenn Kirshner says, you know, the Congress has inherent contempt. They yep. have a jail cell in the House. And I agree with him. I think all of them need to be put in contempt and the Democrats need to vote on the filibuster while they're sitting on Amen. their asses Amen. in there. And I'm sorry, you know what? Republicans have played dirty all the time. This is all within the rules. It is all within, you know, the constitutional norm or not norms, maybe, but it's all within the law of what Congress has the ability and power to do. So start acting. This is like what nobody's I'm asking about. you yeah. to do anything illegal. We are telling you to play on the same field as Republicans, because if it roles were reversed, they would do it to us. And we just got to start playing the game. I mean, I was hoping it would be one of these things where he's like, OK, we're leaving. And then he told all the Democrats not to leave. And then he was like, yes. oh, no, we're coming back. We're, we're voting on this in an hour. And then, you know, I think there was an episode of the West Wing where they did that. And it's like, why can't we think of this on the West Wing, but not in real life? Oh, right, because Chuck Schumer is not going to do that because he probably has good holiday yeah. plans. 
You know, it's it's oh going to be gosh. nice this weekend in New York. He's got a cookouts to go to, oh and my whatever. Gosh. It's. Uh, I just think we got to start playing hard, uh, hard and strategic like they do, and give them, you know, just a little bit of their, you know, dish it back out. Yeah, know? yeah. We've been taking it long enough from them. Amen. A taste of their own medicine. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I agree. Ivermectin. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay that i we're, we're not going to end on any better note than ivermectin so that's right <laughs> okay horse so we're for the win okay <laughs> and the horse he rode in on um what, <laughs> <laughs> what is your twitter handle it's just it's at gal suburban isn't there a, there's an underscore in there somewhere right? yeah and okay. but between the gal and the suburban okay so it's gals gal underscore suburban um we can find you on twitter um, you've been on various podcasts. You wrote that piece on on Jim Stewartson's page, which people can go read if they want to learn more about Executive Order One Three Eight Four Eight. I wrote that down, and I'm reading. It. I just keep saying it. Maybe I'll call. Yeah. call I'll maybe I'll call this episode that. People will be like, "Is this a Do mistake? It. Oh my is it a gosh! Right wingers will find it. I'm serious. <laughs> they love it. They're obsessed with it. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see if it drives traffic. Yep. Hi guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> if they're you listening, lost. they're you so they're lost. so not <laughs> listening anymore. They turned this off a long time. Oh ago. yeah, that's really good talking for a while. Sorry. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so you 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 got babysitters to watch your little so you could come do this, and I appreciate you doing that. And I want you to go enjoy the rest of the time that you have uh, without your kids around because you deserve Thank it. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks for thanks for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Great to see you. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fassa. Sofia Tereshenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Signadella, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kanai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail.